Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Corinthians 7, chapter 7, verses 25 through 31. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that it is good in view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as those they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. Amen. Good morning. And wish everybody, or all the mothers, a happy and, and beautiful and wonderful uh, Mother's Day. And since I am the one with the mic, I can personally wish my mother a happy Mother's Day, even though she's not present. Um, she'll probably be listening to the podcast. So I just want to say happy Mother's Day to Charlene Woodard, the best mother in the world. I can do that shout out. Um, life is like a box of chocolates. Most of you are probably familiar with that saying. I believe it was from a movie that came out in the early 90s. Yes, I am that old. I do remember the early 90s. I believe the movie was Forrest Gump. And I believe, I told you before, I'm not a movie buff, so um, maybe someone can tell me what happens at the end of the movie afterwards, because um, I probably won't watch it. But anyways, that statement, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Well, that might be true to some degree, if you consider the intricate details and the specifics. We don't necessarily know what's going to happen or what might happen. But when you consider what the Bible says about life, we can know for sure a few things. There's a few things that we can learn from our text this morning about life. One reality is that life is hard. It's extremely hard. It's it's difficult. The other thing, reality we can know is, is that time is short. And that life is short. It's fleeting. Most importantly, we can know is that Christ will return. Christ is, is coming again. So let's go to our text. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, since we're kind of picking, up, picking this up in the middle, just to kind of ground you in the context, Paul has been talking about the issue of, of marriage, and he's been responding to questions that were posed to him by the Corinthians. Now, we don't necessarily know what the exact questions are, but we can gather from the context and, and from Paul's response that the question had to deal with virgins or the betrothed, those who were uh, pledged to be married, or perhaps he was speaking about any unmarried person. So picking up in, in verse 25, Paul says this, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, 
but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So we see right away that Paul, he is clear in stating that he has no command from the Lord on this issue and on this question. Rather, Paul is giving his judgment or he's giving his opinion or counsel in regards to the unmarried. Now, the fact that Paul has no command from the Lord, that shouldn't alarm us. Because the Bible doesn't directly and explicitly answer every single question that we might have or every single question that someone may ask or that might come up. See, the Bible is not just merely an instruction book or a rule book or a question and answer book. The Bible is God's revelation to us. It's God's revelation of himself to sinful man. The Bible is a story about redemption and redemption accomplished through Christ. The Bible tells us, God reveals to us how we can be saved from the wrath to come. The Bible is sufficient for salvation and it is sufficient for the Christian life. It gives us wisdom for salvation. It's able to give us wisdom to handle any of life's dilemmas. That's why we read and we cherish the Bible. So although Paul might not have an explicit or a direct command from the Lord regarding the, uh, the unmarried, he does have an opinion. And of course we know, and as the saying goes, opinions are like no, don't say it out loud. I'll let you guys fill in a blank. How about this? Opinions are like belly buttons. Everyone has one. And everyone else's always stinks, right? <laughs> but however, the Apostle Paul, his opinion, his, his counsel in the matter, it's not just any opinion or counsel. And considering any counsel or any opinion, we must consider the source of that opinion, the source of that counsel, we see that Paul, he gives his opinion as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is, is trustworthy. So we should pay careful to the Apostle Paul's opinion because he is trustworthy. By the Lord's mercy, he is trustworthy. We can trust him. We should listen to what Paul has to say. And let this be a lesson for us. We, too, when we consider the opinions and the counsels of others, we should always take into account the source of these opinions, the source of of the counsel that we receive, regardless if it's from Pastor Carter or one of the elders or from your parents. It doesn't matter. We should always receive counsel, view it in light of, of, of God's word. But let's thank God for providing us with trustworthy people from whom we can receive guidance and, and counsel when dilemmas arrive, when questions arise that might not see easily answered to. God has provided leaders and, and godly parents and people who we can turn to for guidance and for counsel. So what is Paul's opinion regarding the unmarried and the betrothed? Verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. So in a nutshell, Paul's counsel is this. If you are married, stay married. If you are unmarried, stay unmarried. Now notice that Paul's opinion, his counsel in regards to those who are married, is does not contradict the Lord's command regarding marriage. 
The Bible is clear, as the Lord Jesus says, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder, the King James Version would say. Let not, let not man separate. You see, Paul in his counsel regarding marriage, he honors the marriage covenant. He holds it in high esteem. He recognizes the, the permanency of marriage. And Paul also understands, as we know from Ephesians 5, that marriage is a, it's kind of like a word picture. It, it, it points to Christ in his church. And we know that Christ and his church will never be separated, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So again, let this be a reminder to us. Anytime we're considering opinions or a counsel, they should never, ever, under any circumstances, contradict the clear teaching of Scripture. An opinion that contradicts Scripture is not an opinion. You know what it is? It's, it's rebellion. It's rebellion against God, and it's a rebellion against God's word. All opinions, regardless of who they're from, they must be informed by the word of God. So let us be sure. Let us always test any counsel we receive in light of God's word. Now notice also that Paul's opinion to the unmarried, it doesn't take away nor does it eliminate the freedom that the, that the Corinthians have in Christ. They are free to marry or free not to marry. Paul makes this clear in verse 28. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Again, we're dealing with Paul's counsel, not an explicit command from the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that what Paul is writing, it's, it's not inspired or that it's not inerrant or that it's not somehow the word of God, that it's not scripture. But what it does mean is that his counsel, it's, it's not binding. It's not absolute. The commands of the Lord are absolute. There's no gray area. There is no black and white. So now let's continue on. Let's look at the why of Paul's counsel pertaining to marriage. So one reason we see for Paul's judgment in regards to marriage is the reality that life is hard. We see this in verse 26. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Life was particularly and and presently difficult for the Corinthians at the time when Paul was writing to them. Paul is writing to the Corinthians during a time of intense and, and increased suffering and pain and grief and misery. So what is this, this present distress that Paul's referring to, this impending hardship that Paul's referring to? The short of it is, I don't know. I don't think we can know for sure. Commentators vary on this. There's a couple options. Let me give you a couple of them. The first option is that Paul may have been referring to a famine at that time. Potentially there was a shortage of food. Another option is that Paul may have been referring to persecution. As we're reading through the book of Acts, and we're all looking forward to get back into it, we see that persecution was running rampant through the early church. Or perhaps he was referring to both of them, or a combination of both, both famine and persecution. But regardless, the fact of the matter is, and the bottom line is, is this, is that for the Corinthians, their life and their times were extremely hard. They were extremely difficult. Now, the fact that there are hardships in life should come as no surprise to us. 
We don't need the Bible to tell us this. General revelation reveals that life is hard. Our experiences, we know firsthand that life is hard. It's, it's, it's really hard. We're reminded of life's difficulties constantly, whether it's on a TV or in the newspaper. I don't know if anybody still reads a newspaper because, you know, everything is online. So maybe on the, the Internet, we are constantly surrounded and we are bombarded with life's hardships and life's difficulties. All across the world and, and for all time, suffering abounds and it will continue to abound. But many of us, we don't need the media or, or social media to be reminded of the difficulties and the hardships of life. All we have to do is turn to your neighbor. All you have to do is turn to yourself and look inward, look in the mirror. I'm sure we can all testify that life is hard. And then at some points it lies, in our lives, it becomes increasingly harder. We have seasons of intense difficulties and, and hardships. Consider even a prayer request. Prayerfully, everybody here is involved in a home fellowship group. If not, it's a plug. I would encourage you to be involved in one. And in during this home fellowship groups, you know, we take prayer requests. And I don't know about your group, but when I hear the prayer requests, I am constantly reminded, wow, that, that people are suffering that most of the time our prayer requests are a cry for relief, for deliverance, and for peace. And if you haven't encountered any intense suffering or, or hardships or difficulties in your life, as the old folks would say, just keep living. You will encounter times of hardships and, and difficulty and suffering. I can promise you, your time, if it hasn't happened already, it's, it's coming. And don't think that somehow just because you're a Christian that your life is going to be easier. That's the furthest thing from the truth. Anybody who would think that, I'd ask them to read, first of all, to read their Bible. And to read it rightly and, and correctly. And then to think again. Who by becoming a Christian... You know, we see in the New Testament, whose life actually got easier? You know, there are many hardships and, and difficulties that are common. They're common to all people, regardless of whether you are a Christian. If indeed Paul was referring to a famine, that famine in Corinth would have affected all the people in Corinth, not just the church. Like that today, in the same way that all people, our nation is affected by crime and and corruption, poverty, disease, and death. You see, the hardships in life, there are no respecters of person. Just like death, hardships, they do not discriminate. However, there are some hardships that are specific and, and particular and unique to Christians. Indeed, if there was persecution in Corinth, it would have affected the church in Corinth. You see, being a Christian, it can and and probably will increase the number and the intensity of your hardships. And if you're a Christian here today, this shouldn't come as a surprise to you. 
You know, in grade school, when you used to say something that's obvious, people would say, no, duh. Well, that's probably what you should be saying right now is, duh, no, duh, of course. You can't be surprised. The, the, the book of James says this much. It says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And Paul also reminds us in his second letter to Timothy, he says that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus tells us in John chapter 16 that in the world you will have tribulation. Brothers and sisters, hardships, trials, persecutions, tribulation, they are inevitable. And sometimes these hardships might not be on a national level, but often they are on a personal level. Even on a day like today that's Mother's Day, I know that some of you are, are grieving and missing the mother that you no longer have here on this earth. And some of you whose mothers are still alive are missing that relationship that you never had with your mother. Brothers and sisters, again, life is it's hard. It's extremely hard. And the Christian life is hard. So that brings us to this question. What should we do? What should we do when life gets hard, when we're going through this intense suffering and, and hardship? In order to answer this question, we have to continue to look at the why. The why behind Paul's counsel to the unmarried to remain unmarried. We've already established one reason why he encourages the unmarried to remain unmarried. It's because of the present distress, because of the difficulties, because of the hardships, because of the potential persecution or, or famine. But another reason why Paul gives this counsel is found in the second part of verse 28. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. What Paul is saying here is that those who marry, they will face additional responsibilities and, and challenges Hardships that are exclusive to marriage and be exclusive to childbearing. And those of us who are married and who have kids, we can testify to this, right? Being married and, and having children, it increases responsibilities and makes it can make life even more challenging. And married people typically have more obligations and and, and less and less for unmarried. You see, often a time that marriage and having children, it can lead to additional conflicts and worries that are foreign to people who are unmarried. So you see, it is Paul's desire to spare those who were unmarried of these worldly troubles in view of the present distress. You see, this is Paul's being pastoral in, in this council. He is concerned for the welfare of the Corinthians. Famine and or persecution is hard. Now you take famine and or persecution and you add the worldly troubles that marriage brings, it's even harder. I mean, think about how the potential for your suffering increase if we're in a famine and you have to feed your wife and your kids. For some of us, that's tough already and we're not in a famine. <laughs> think about persecution. 
And our day is coming when we're persecuted and we have to worry and, and, to, and to protect your, your children and your wife. The worldly troubles plus the, the president distress that the Corinthians were going through presents a very difficult challenge. And remember, remember the parable of the sower and the seeds that were sown on the rocky ground. These seeds, the seeds that were sown on the rocky ground, they were the ones who heard the word and endured for a while. But when tribulation and persecution arose, they fell away. Now remember the seeds that were sown among the thorns. These were the ones who heard the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choked out the word, and there was no fruit. You see, Paul's counsel to the unmarried was was for their own good. It was for their own benefit. Paul's not seeking to be a a killjoy. He's not seeking to make people miserable. His, His counsel doesn't come from impure motives. It came from an analysis of the current situation. Paul was exercising his his God-given wisdom. But furthermore, Paul's counsel to the unmarried was not only for their own good, it was also for the glory of God. And Paul makes this abundantly clear towards the end of 1 Corinthians 7, in, in particular in verses 32 to 35, when he says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. And the unmarried woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. Now, this doesn't mean that people who are married shouldn't be anxious about the things of the Lord or that they shouldn't seek to please the Lord or that they shouldn't seek to pursue holiness. But what it does mean is that married people are, or that unmarried people are, they're less likely to be distracted as married people are in their devotion to the Lord. So really, when you look at it, Paul's main concern is not just simply marriage or or, or singleness in and of itself. Paul's main concern is that whether you are married or unmarried, is that you devote yourself to the Lord. Paul's counsel to the Corinthians is that they devote themselves to the Lord, especially when life is tough. And in light of the, the present distress. So really, the answer to the question as to, what should we do when life is hard? Is this, is that we should live in a way that puts us in the best position to devote ourselves to the Lord. Don't get distracted by the difficulties and, and the hardships and the worldly troubles, but rather devote yourself to the Lord. Life is hard. It's, it's hard enough already. There's no reason to make life any harder than it has to be. You don't have to go looking for trouble. Trouble, if you're a Christian, it will find you. You don't have to go looking for suffering. Suffering, especially if you're a Christian, it, it, it will find you. Now, let's, let's, let's keep, keep something in mind here. Paul's counsel to the Corinthians was tailored to their circumstances, okay? So everybody in here who's unmarried or, or single can breathe a sigh of relief, Paul's not necessarily saying that all Christians everywhere for all time and all Christians here today should never get married. Clearly, he's not saying that. Again, Paul holds marriage in in high esteem, and and the desire to be married is is a godly thing. And if you desire to get married, I pray that God will provide a a godly spouse for you. 
But however, the principle behind Paul's counsel is applicable to us. Perhaps if you're, you're seeking marriage, it may mean that you need to uh, consider the timing of your marriage in light of your current hardships and difficulties and circumstances. And then for those who are unmarried, it definitely means that you should be aware of the increased responsibilities and duties involved involved in being married, the worldly troubles. You should be keenly aware of those. And then for those of us who are married, it, it reminds us that despite all of our worldly troubles and despite of our hardships and difficulties, it is imperative that we must devote ourselves to the Lord. So when life is hard, and indeed it's hard often, and for that matter, even life may not be so hard for you, whether you're married or unmarried, we should do all the more to devote ourselves to the Lord. Now, moving on in our text, we just discussed one reality, that the life is hard. The next reality is that time is short. So not only is life is hard, time is short. We see this in verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. Now, in what ways is, is time short? Well, time is short in, in regards to two things. Time is short in regards to the human life. And time is also short in regards to the return of Christ. So let's con- consider the first one. The brevity of life. Time is short in regards to human life. You know, in the same way that our experience has testified to the hardships of life, we know firsthand the brevity of life from our everyday experiences. We know and we can testify that life is short. As a matter of fact, our life is so centered around time and, and cycles of time. Everything we do is, is governed, it seems like, by time from the beginning of our existence until the day that we die. We are, we're subject to time. I mean, think about it. We, we spend time in the womb, a certain amount of time, and then we are born. Then that time is up. We spend time in, in kindergarten, elementary school, junior high, high school. Sometimes we go to college and graduate school. We go there for a season. Some seasons for some are longer than others. But eventually, or prayerfully, we graduate. Right? We move on. And then for some of us, we spend time being single. And then we get married. So our time of being single, it comes to an end. We spend time being childless or without children. Some of us have kids or adopt kids, and our season of being childless, it it comes to an end. We spend time at one job, and then we go to the next. For a lot of us, the days of staying at one job, for the most part, (laughs) don't exist. But even then, nobody works forever. Sooner or later... They'll either let you go or you'll find a better opportunity. A lot of us, we spend time living in one place and then we move somewhere else. I'm sure many of us have spent time in different parts of the country or in different parts of the world. We spend time on vacations, and unfortunately those have to come to an end and we have to go back to work. We spend time enjoying one activity or, or one hobby or one children's activity. Then those come to an end, and then child wants to do something else, so we move to our next uh, hobby horse. We spend time keeping up with today's fashions, right? Some things that are in, they have a 
an ending point where the way that we dress and the way that we might style our hair, right, that might be in at one point, but then that time moves on, and then a time of new fashion comes. And we spend time listening to sermons. Hopefully you guys are still spending time listening to this sermon. And then sooner or later, this sermon is going to end. And then next week, you'll hear even maybe a longer one. Who knows? <laughs> you see, time is, is being spent. Time is being spent everywhere. Time is being spent in every place. And time is being spent by everyone. The writer of Ecclesiastes said, Ecclesiastes said it best. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. You see, the common denominator about time is this, is that time is a limited resource for everyone. You know, it's kind of like money for some of us. You run out of it pretty quickly. But unlike money, with some of us, we can get more money, can increase money. We can't increase our time. We may be able to reallocate time, but we cannot create additional time. Once time passes, it's gone forever, never to be regained. Paul tells the Ephesians this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Why? Because time is short. It's it's precious. Paul also tells the Colossians this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Again, time is fleeting. Time is short. Brothers and sisters, I pray that we would invest and spend our time wisely. So many times you always hear, I don't have enough time. Let's ask ourselves, is the issue that we don't have enough time Or is it really that we're being unwise with the time that we do have? Time is a gift. In a sense, it's not our time. It's God's time that he has given us. So let us use wisdom and to be faithful, to be fruitful in whatever time, however short it is that that God gives us. But just as time is short, this brings us to our next reality, is is that life is short. And again, this is something that we know from experience. It's something that we know firsthand. Life is short. Just like difficulties and sufferings, we are surrounded by death. Death is everywhere. We can't escape it. It's, it's all around us. But not only is death all around us, death, it's in us. Brothers and sisters, we are dying from the moment you are conceived. There is an expiration date on your head. We might not know when we're going to die or how we're going to die. But unless the Lord returns in our lifetime, we will die. At some point or another, we will be going to one funeral after another. And I don't say this just to be morbid. I say this because this is the truth. It's it's the reality of life. Is that life is short and it's fleeting. All flesh is like grass and all its glory 
like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The Bible reminds us that we are frail, and that life is short. So time is short in regards to our life. But not only is time short in regards to our life, time is short in regards to the return of Christ. And this is good news. Brothers and sisters, we are living in the last days. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that Christ will return next week in our lifetime, but if he does, Lord, haste the day. Praise God. But what it does mean is that the return of Christ is the final event in the storyline of redemption. The promise of the Messiah, the promise of the one who would crush the head of the serpent has been realized. Christ has come into the world to defeat sin and death. Salvation has been accomplished. And salvation will come to a culmination. It will be completely accomplished when Christ returns and we go to be with him in glory. So you see, the last days, they begin with the first coming of Christ and they continue on even to this day. They continue on until his second coming, until the consummation of all things. The Bible makes this clear. The last days and the last times began with Jesus. Instead of 1 Peter 1.20, he, referring to Christ, was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. The writer of Hebrews says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news. This is the good news of the gospel that we often fail to, to realize and we fail to meditate on. Perhaps we should spend more time in, in the book of Revelation in, in chapter 21. You know, we get excited about many things. We anticipate many things in life. We look forward to to getting married or to having kids or to graduating from school. Um, Perhaps we're looking forward to to coming to church and we look forward to fellowship and and being with the people of God. Look forward to going out to eat. You know I do, right? We look forward to a lot of things and we express our joy and our excitement. But when is the last time that you and I, that we've looked forward to the return of Christ? And when's the last time that someone says, you know, I can't wait until Christ comes back. Or I can't wait to see the face of Jesus. I can't wait until my faith becomes sight. To see the Christ, the risen Christ in all his glory. To see the nail prints in his hand. Brothers and sisters, if there's one thing to get excited about, if there's one thing to be anxious about, 
is this, is that Christ is coming back. Christ will return. You know, when we talk about the gospel, the gospel is, when we look at a narrow focus, you know, we focus, as we should, on the life and the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end there. Christ ascended into the heavens, and he's there now. The man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, he sits at the right hand of God and the Father, interceding for us. But he's not going to remain there. As the song says, the clouds will be rolled back like a scroll. The trump will resound. Christ will descend. And we who are alive will be caught up in the air with him. Christ is coming back. That is the good news of the gospel. Don't forget it. As sure as you sit here and you hear me proclaiming this word to you, Christ, it's tangible. This is real. Christ is coming back. And the good news is is we're one day shorter every single day. The clock is ticking. The clock is not only ticking to the day of our death. The clock is ticking to the day that we see the one that we continually pray to. It's ticking until the day that we see the one that we continue, that we read about, that we study about. Brothers and sisters, we will see him. If you are in Christ, if you've repented of your sins and trusted Jesus Christ, you will see the one who knew you in the womb, who knows everything about you, and who has forgiven you of all of your sins, past, present, and future. You will see the one who's given his life for you, who bled and died for you and rose again. You will see him and be with him forever. That is the good news of the gospel. Now, if we truly believe that Christ is is coming back and that he is going to return, then that reality, it should impact the way that we live. And I believe this is what Paul had in mind in verses 29 through 31. Verse 29, from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Now, Paul's not saying that Married people should live as if they are unmarried. Never. But what he is saying is that married people shouldn't live as as though marriage is all there is to life. Marriages come to an end. Spouses die. Our ultimate spouse is Christ. And our marriage to Christ will never come to an end. That is the good news of the gospel. We're united. We are one with Christ. We continue on to verse 30. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Again, Paul is not saying that we should never mourn or that we should never rejoice. But what he is saying is this, is that our well-being is not determined by the things of, the, of this world. Our well-being is not determined by earthly things. So if we're rejoicing in things of the world, don't rejoice in things of the world as if they were the ultimate source of joy because the things of the world will pass away. They will be taken. Our ultimate source of joy is Christ, and Christ will never be taken from us. And if you're a mourning, don't mourn about the things of the world as if, as if you have no hope. Your hope is in Christ. That's not wishful thinking. Your hope is, is a certainty. Your mourning will come to an end. Christ will return. Verses 30 and 31. 
Those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. Once again, Paul is not saying that we should never purchase goods or or have possessions or conduct business transactions. What he is saying is this, is that we should not be so consumed with material possessions and, and worldly dealings as if they are number one priority. We have jobs. We work hard at our jobs, but they will come to our end. But we also have a job, and our job is to serve Christ. And that service will never come to an end. We have possessions, and we accumulate them. But sooner or later, they will be taken from us. But our possession, our inheritance, ultimately, is Christ. And again, Christ will never be taken from us. So in a nutshell, maybe what Paul is saying is this. this don't cling to the world. Cling to Christ. Don't turn the gifts of God into idols. Don't be so consumed with the gifts that you neglect the giver of those gifts. Don't be so consumed with the blessings that you miss the blessor. Brothers and sisters, don't get so comfortable in this world that, that you no longer long for the return of Christ. And that's one of my fears for the church today. You think about the issues of potential persecution and, and things of that sort and hardships. My fear is that us, particularly in this context, in our present time, is that we get comfortable We live as if this is all there is to life. Equivalent to staying in a hotel and taking the furniture out of your house and putting it in a hotel. You would never do that because the hotel is is not your home. Well, it's the same way we shouldn't invest our all into things in the world that are going to pass away, that have an expiration date on them. We should invest our our time and and our talents into things that are eternal, to focus in on Christ, our true source of joy, unending, eternal joy. So I pray that we would be a church that that longs to see the return of Christ. And Paul ends the section with, for the present form of this world, it's passing away. Now, for some, that might be bad news because if we, we love the things of this world, I'm not talking about necessarily not sinful things. I'm talking about if we just love just you know, being married, having jobs, having nice things, there's nothing wrong with those things. But like I said, if we, if we cling to those things, if we make life all about here, about temporal things, the thought of them passing away might bring grief to us, but it shouldn't. The fact that the present form of this world is passing away is good news because it has to pass away for the new to come in, for Christ to come in. That's what Christ says. Behold, he is making all things new. This is good news. Brothers and sisters, what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Christ is coming back. He's coming back for us. He's coming back for you. So they dealt with at the beginning, with life, there are 
many things, Lord, or many things that happen to us, many things that we anticipate. Like I said, the reality is, is that life is hard. But the good news is Christ is coming back. Time is short. But the good news is Christ is coming back. Life is short. But the good news of the gospel is Christ is coming back. So that's how we make it. That's how we deal with the realities of life. No matter how hard it gets, no matter the difficulties, no matter the fact that we are dying people in our life, is fleeing. Christ is going to return. I want to take this time. To those of you who have yet to come to know Christ, as I said, time is, is short. It's fleeting. Tomorrow is not promise. But as the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart. If you are here today and you have not turned from your sins, you have not placed your faith in Christ, God will pay you back the wages for your sin. The wages of sin is death. And I'm talking about just a physical death. I'm talking about an eternal and everlasting death. So I pray that there would be nobody in here that would not bow the knee, that would not turn from their sins and, and turn from thinking that their good works would save them. Their good works are filthy rags. They will not save you. Only Christ can save you. So I plead with anyone here, no matter what age, no matter what background, no matter what your history was with the church, no matter the difficulties and the hardships of life, if you think life is bad now, wait until if you're not a Christian, wait until Christ returns. It's going to be far worse, but it doesn't have to be that way. God is patient towards you even today. The mercy and grace are available if you would turn from your sins and you would trust in Christ and his perfect life and in his death and his resurrection. He will cleanse you. He will forgive you of your sins regardless of what you have done. So I plead with you, come to Christ today. Again, for those of us who are Christians, I just pray that you desire all the more to see the face of your Lord, our Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that regardless of what you're going through, how difficult it is, devote yourselves to the Lord and anticipate, desire, long to see the day of Christ, his return, when he comes for us, so we could be with him forever.